Hello and uh, welcome to the Asymptote Show. This is our altogether second episode featuring uh, mathematical induction. It's pretty exciting that this time along with Mr. Barry and I, we also have invited two guests to join our discussion. Uh, tutor Mr. Bybee and junior Mr. Sherwood. Tutor just means professor. Yep. Anyway, last time Mr. Barry and I went through the basic mechanics of uh, induction, that is the specific steps for proving a particular proposition. Please check that out if you haven't. If you are listening from SoundCloud or iTunes, you can find the link from the description section of this episode, or if you're listening from our blog, then the link is embedded in this article. This time, we are hoping to approach the same topic from a philosophical point of view. Fortunately, the uh, French mathematician called uh, Henri Poincaré touched upon the subject in his book called Science and Hypothesis. There's a free copy from the Gutenberg Project website. Again, you can find the link from either the uh, description section or the article. We want, therefore, to mainly focus on the first chapter of this book, and uh, to see if he could shine any light on the uh, nature of induction. So in this book, Poincaré brings up these two kinds of notions. One is the uh, notion of analysis, and the other is the notion of recurrence. So we shall start by asking ourselves, what's the difference between those two notions, and how they relate back to the uh, method of mathematical induction? I mean, he says uh, kind of at the end, which was something I definitely wanted to be clear about, is that mm -hmm. induction and his own process, which he calls, you know, um, that by recurrence, aren't necessarily the same thing, yeah. but uh, they move, yeah, just at the uh, start of seven there. Um, they're, they're parallel lines, and significantly they both start from the particular and move to the general. Um, recurrent reasoning and uh, inductive reasoning. Yeah. So um, there's a thing called induction, which is inductive reasoning, which is apart from all deduction. Thank you very much, Aristotle. Then there's a kind of deduction, which is also called mathematical induction, but that's a kind of deduction. It has nothing to do with induction. Yeah, we, we want to be clear on that part. And that sometimes it looks like he's kind of mm -hmm. loose about that. Mm -hmm. And the reason mathematical induction is called mathematical induction is because uh, the guy who came up with the first steps in that way thought that he was doing mathematics as an experimental method. John Wallace is his name. And he was going to use induction the way scientists use induction, but he was going to do it in mathematics. And, of course, mathematicians everywhere are still today are just horrified by that thought. You know, what? I suppose I was just going to try to convince you that, that all odd numbers are prime numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, one's an odd number. One is prime. Three is an odd number. Three is prime. Right. Five is an odd number. Five is prime. Here the uh, inductive good. stuff going there. Seven is an odd number. Seven is prime. Eleven's uh, an odd number. Eleven <laughs> is prime. Oh, oh. See, I'm, I'm adding up inductive instances, trying to convince you that all odd numbers are prime numbers. Well, you can do that when it comes to antelope and having babies and having hair and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But clearly you can't do that with math 
a mathematician would say, you need to have a deductive knockdown proof that all, without exception, all odd numbers are prime numbers. And you can't do that because we, you and I can think of one right away, an odd number that's not a prime number. Get over it. Mm-hmm. So there's something wrong with using induction in that one sense as opposed to a deductive stuff for mathematical things. And yet Wallace, I mean, started off doing that. That's, you know, that's the way we're going to do it. He, okay, right. Well, in that particular example, it's not going to work. But imagine another example. Suppose I was going to try to say that the squares of all odd numbers are odd. The square of 1 is 1, that's odd. The square of 3, that's 9, that's odd. The square of 7, that's 49, that's I can keep going, I can keep going, and you can see Wallace thinks he's got a point here. Look, (laughs) you know, I've given you a bunch of inductive instances. (laughs) And here's the important thing, ladies and gentlemen. See, you mathematicians, you deductive guys, here's what you've gone wrong all this time since the Greeks. Everything that you've proved, you've proved stuff that you already knew to be true on other grounds. You proved the Pythagorean theorem but you knew that was true already on other grounds long before you got around to doing it. And that's what mathematics ought to be like. You ought to figure out what new things you want to, to prove. What are, it's, going to be, it's going to be like science. It's going to be an exploration sort of thing. So you can see why he was, he was going to plump for experimental math. But somehow this experimental math... The method of that is still somehow evolves with the previous one. The previous one is still, they still share the same method. The method that he calls the analysis. Say more. Um, so remember, there's a part that he talks about the, uh, the only thing that we do with analysis is try to translate a thing into another thing, which turned out to be equivalent. I I I thought that's some somehow what we just described as what the Greek was doing. And then that involved a certain uh, method that he calls analysis. I mean, he, he later mm-hmm. brings up the example of Leibniz trying to prove that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And then this, this is purely deductive. And then he's saying, well, since that kind of method that we call analysis don't, it doesn't bring any new thing to mathematics. We should introduce another one that we call recurrence, which still uses that analysis, but it's somehow different. It, it turns out to be different mm. in the end. So I want to know what, what exactly are they different from each other. Or, or whether indeed he's got it right. Mm-hmm. It looks like one might say, at least superficially, he's conflated what we've called induction in that Aristotelian sense with induction that's a kind of deduction. And the two, the two aren't the same at all. Mm-hmm. Induction, the way we've done it in our junior math, is a kind of deduction. It's not an inductive process at all. I mean, it still seems though, like there's the odd... It, it isn't just on particulars, but there's, it still has to be grounded so much in like that the first case, and then you prove the general rule for, oh, if one case, then the next case. But... It's got a kind of odd relationship, then it seems like it's sort of in between in the way that you, it's, 
you still need that particular, at least one particular, mm-hmm. in order for any of it to be true. And like it, that seems like how it's maybe grounded in that analytical. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it, how it's sort of because if you didn't have that analytical first step, you wouldn't be able to do anything general. Mm-hmm. And the general step is also analytical. Right. I'm going to say successive. I'm going to show it's true of any, that's the way I do it, Mm -hmm. any given individual. And then I will show that's one step, that's a deductive step. Mm -hmm. The next deductive step is is the one that Plato made famous. It's that if it's true of this, then it will be true of something else. It's like a conditional proof. Plato calls it hypothesis. Mm -hmm. I'm going to prove that one person has... Uh, chicken pox. It's got to be a deductive step. The next step is if that person has it, then each succeeding person will get chicken pox. Mm-hmm. That too is a deductive step. So mathematical induction has just happens to have two separate deductive steps, mm-hmm. both of which are analytic. I mean, I'm wondering about the conclusion you then draw. Maybe like it's splitting hairs, but saying, oh. One person has it, therefore, each person in a row has it. Then the next step is to say, therefore, every person has it. Well, so so the steps in mathematical induction go like this. I'm going to show that some one yeah. arbitrary individual. It's true of that. That's a deductive step in itself, a proof that we take that one. Mm-hmm. That's not sufficient to show that everything does. Right. Then I'm going to show that if if one arbitrary thing has it, then the successive thing, whatever that mm-hmm. is, however we're going to do that, mm-hmm. will also have it. Mm-hmm. That's the two steps. Mm-hmm. And together then, we're going to claim that that's enough to show that not just any arbitrary individual has it, but that everything of that matter, that case, has it. It's that deduction from any arbitrary individual to all individuals in the case there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're right. That doesn't really get fleshed out until about 1908 or something. I mean, mm-hmm. we just take it for granted. Think of think of the proof book one, proof one of Euclid. I can show that I have this line. I can make a tri- triangle of it. And then I want to say, well, yeah, but th- that's true of that line. And you have to say, no, no. Look, that's an arbitrary line. Mm-hmm. Any arbitrary line. If you can do it with any arbitrary mm-hmm. line, that means you can do it with every line. And that's that second step there, mm-hmm. the, the, the one you call a third step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Notice we just take that for granted, but mm-hmm. we ought not. If, if I say that uh, any good boy does fine, that sounds very much like saying every good boy does fine. Mm-hmm. What if I say not every good boy does fine? That's not the same as saying not any good boy does mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. So it's so so our ordinary language seems slippery in a way that we don't want it to be. That it is a problem we should. This any all inference is something we need to sort out, mm-hmm. and it got sorted out. I mean, you know, I don't want you to think it's a mystery. <laughs> but uh, back to Mr. Sherwood's question earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were thinking about the difference between the mathematical induction versus like. What's where he put it? Uh, like <clears throat> general induction, physical induction. Physical induction. Well done. Yeah, and you're calling the question. Has he got it right? I think so. Uh, 
it's just a question for me, especially in um, what he goes off of with Leibniz's yeah. definition of, uh, or I guess Leibniz considered a proof of two plus two to make mm -hmm. four. He says, Poincaré says, okay, that's not properly a definition. That's taking your premise, translating it, and translating it into different language. He says that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And he calls that a ver simply a verification. You haven't shown anything new. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is, my question would be because he goes then to talk about um, if all of mathematics was just dealing with these particulars like that, you couldn't call it a science. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess, is the goal then to be able to take this verification and take it to the, the infinity of particulars, as he calls it later, to, to take it from the particular to the general? I mean, it still seems like these are just verifications. In a way. What's wrong with saying, oh, math isn't a science? Sorry. I mean, John Wallace wanted it to be, but he was just wrong. Why, why don't we just say that? Math is not science. Or take Book 1, Prop 47. On the same account, it turns out, right, it's, it's, we didn't discover anything. It was in those propositions, in those definitions, it was in those uh, common notions, and we just, we just elaborated on it translated those things into Prop 147. What, in other words, uh, let me just be hard-nosed about this. Oh, I see what math is. I, I want to, let me take John Wallace aside for a minute. Math is just garbage in, garbage out. There's no such thing as mathematical truths. They're just things that you can infer from a certain set of propositions mm -hmm. that you can't infer from another set of propositions. So in mathematics, the only question is, is not what's true or false. That's a mistake. Math never deals with that. Science deals with that. Math never does. Math deals with, with what you can do from what propositions. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> why, why, why wouldn't we just be happy with that I'm, you know, I'm willing to say Poincaré is not willing to give me that point. Mm -hmm. Why not? Why does math have to be a science? Why do we have, want to say that there are mathematical truths? Why don't we just say that some mathematical moves are valid and some are not? And that's what mathematics is all about. I, mean, I wonder if, if math, if you can say that math isn't true, on what grounds can you say that anything is true? Mathematical propositions are not true right. or mm -hmm. false. They are either deduced or not exactly. deduced. They're on the additional. So that means that no mathematical system can tell you whether the postulates are true or false. Right. Something else has to do that. What would that be? For Poincaré, it's going to be science. Mm -hmm. Science is that which, and he means science a little more broadly than we might, that will tell us which propositions are true or false. Oh, and I see mathematics will tell us which inferences are valid and invalid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, and we'd have to say, okay, something else is going to have to give, see how we're going to divvy the world up in a way that he's mm -hmm. not too happy with. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, neither was John Wallace. Lots of people with good minds and goodwill are very unhappy with what I'm suggesting here. But I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> it also seems that, in his sense, when talking about mathematics being a, a certain kind of science, he's he's thinking about like the generality of of one, the generality that 
a formula can review going from starting from a particular into a generalized one. This is saying that the, the method of recurrence enables mathematicians to uh, to reach that in infinite that is to start from the particular and then you just basically announcing it every particular case and then by using recurrence you can actually prove the generality of it and that seems somehow to be the point of let's say mathematics being a certain kind of science but but but, but I get mm -hmm. a sense that that is also different from the science that we we use the word that we use for science so so let's go back I mean you've pointed out several times that his notion of induction is exactly what Aristotle says it's the move from particulars to universals mm -hmm. right deduction and you know bless our friend Aristotle says deduction is the is, is the move from uh, uh, universals to particulars mm -hmm. that's because our friend right. Aristotle has a particular model for deduction the syllogism it turns out, wait a minute, somewhere else he says, look, what we really mean is if you have premises, if the premises are true and the conclusion must be true, that's what we call, uh, he calls it a syllogism at that point. Mm -hmm. And then he only works with categorical syllogisms. But that's what we would maybe today call, oh, that's a wonderful definition of a deduction. And then let's, let's give Aristotle some do if you got premises that are true and the conclusion doesn't have to be true, <laughs> it's only probably true, mm -hmm. then let's just call that induction. Why might we want to do that? Well, look, if, if you actually go out in the world, if you go over to the coffee shop or something like that, and if you listen to some stuff there, 99 and 44, 100% of all deductive arguments do not go from something that's more general to something that's less general. They're at the same level of generalization. And the same is true of inductions. They're at the same level of, of, of generalization. They don't go from particulars to general in, in, any, in any sense whatsoever. Instead, one kind of thing, induction, is a probabilistic argument. The other kind is what we would call that apodictic, that if the premises are true, the conclusion must be true. Mm -hmm. Again, we, we, math can't guarantee that the premises are true. Mm -hmm. That's going to take something else. Okay, now with that in mind, can we? I'm beginning to sift through Poincaré a little bit. You know, at the time where he's writing, he looks like he's nobody has grabbed him by the head and shoved his nose into the grindstone and said, "We need to be clear and straight about all this stuff. Keep this kind of induction differentiated from this kind of induction. This is a kind of deduction that, if the premises are true, the conclusion must be true." Missing over here, that's just probabilistic. Like my claim that if it's, you've got an, uh, an odd number, it's probably a uh, prime number. As a matter of fact, it's, it's probably not true, mm. right? I, you've just chosen particular instances to, to flim-flam us, you would say. No mathematician would buy that. Never. Dumb argument. Except, I want to say, again, that's how this kind of math got started. John Wallace said, that's exactly the kind of math we want to do, the experimental math. We want to, we, we, will, we, we will get these things from induction. Then we'll go over here and try to see if we can prove them to be true or false. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, he tried to use induction to prove them true or false, too. It's no wonder, you know, people got upset with him. Let's <laughs> see. But nevertheless, I mean, the one man that both Leibniz and Newton read was John Wallace. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. His book on arithmetic is the one, at least one of the sources they use his notion of successive approximation, his notion of that stuff is what underwrites the infinitesimal calculus. Mm -hmm. that, um, I guess my next question after all that would be for Poincaré because almost immediately after that he asked the question of how are we, we going to prove? He's not satisfied with saying that mathematics isn't a science and so He's, he says he's going to show us. He immediately kicks geometry due to com complications with uh, postulates and the role that they play. And then he immediately kicks infinitesimal calculus and says, okay, we're only going to deal with the basics of arithmetic mm -hmm. and you know, numbers. Mm -hmm. um, I guess... What's going on with the, the yeah? So let's do that. I mean, <laughs> next year we're going to do uh, non-Euclidean geometry. You can't imagine what a blow that was for people who had studied geometry as the model for all deductive reasoning, including philosophy. You know, you start with some, some intuitively obvious, uh, undubitable premises, and from that you erect this edifice of stuff by deduction. And in that case, you could have geometrical truths. And you could have philosophical truths. But once we called into question one of those postulates and realized that the, that, that, that the kind of geometry you had depended entirely on which postulates you have, then you have to throw out, let's just figure out how that goes. We can't use geometry anymore and say, oh, oh that this is a true proposition in geometry. It isn't true. All I can tell you is that it follows deductively from these premises, but I can't prove that the premises are true anymore within geometry. Mm -hmm. oh. And now if I've, if I've got my philosophy modeled on that notion of geometry, I can't say there are philosophical truths either. And again, that's the major case now of garbage in, garbage out. Thank you, <laughs> Mr. Leibniz, right? That's, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've, I'm embarrassingly mistaken about this notion. Now the infinitesimal calculus, that's even more worrisome. The people who are going to yell about calculus are going to yell, you haven't, you haven't given, you've just been doing this and pretending that it works. <laughs> but you can't, you haven't proved this stuff. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive. And we've seen why in a little bit with, with Wallace. You know, that just sounds crazy. Well, we want to ask, what's going to count as a proof then? If by proof you mean the kind of thing that we had always before with geometry, we might just say, and we will in your junior math class say, yeah, we'll never be able to do that. Never, sorry, give it up. If, on the other hand, we start to put base geometry on arithmetic, if we start basing our calculus on arithmetic, and if we can provide the grounds for arithmetic mm. rather than the other way around, oh, I, this is going to work out. And as a matter of fact, that's what happens. We, 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 I mean, it's called the logistic thesis at the time. Poincaré is writing, it's pretty popular. <clears throat> People are saying that all of mathematics is based on a few rules of logic. And within 10 years after the time he has written and published this, somebody, two people, are able to show that all of mathematics that we know of certainly can be traced back to logic and set theory. We're not happy 
because just because we've got all the math that we know of, that doesn't mean that all possible math can be traced back to logic and set theory, and it turns out you can't. Crap. Still. Yeah, I see how this works. Hmm. Part of which means I have to show how mathematical induction works. Hmm. No problem. But remember, not that other kind of induction. That's no part of math. That's no part of deductive logic. It's anti-deductive logic. Is that part? Is that part of um, induction belong? Does that part of induction belong to science? It is. Okay. It's one of the what? major tools of science. So that is one. Well, I mean, I'm I'll do two things. One is suppose I was looking through the telescope and I say, oh, uh, antelope have hair and antelope bear their young alive. Bears have hair and bears bear their young alive. Cats have hair and cats bear their young alive. Dogs have hair and dogs bear their young alive. Elands have hair and elands bear their young alive. Foxes, pretty soon you're saying, okay, 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 I got it. Everything that has hair bears its young alive. You've shown that these two characteristics are coextensive, and that's only one example of induction. We do that in empirical science, experimental natural philosophy, all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's only one kind of non-deductive inference. There's another one that, that people call abduction now. And, and that's something we do an awful lot too. Neither of which, however, are deduction. So some people want to claim, oh look, we get the premises for our deductive systems from induction. Mm -hmm. Okay, Poincaré, if you're saying that, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I don't think he's saying that though. If he's saying, on the other hand, and you know the name of the book, right? Science and Hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Where is it that I think of the things that I want to try to prove? That might result from a non-deductive process that I might then prove by a deductive process. Right. I don't think the first chapter has that in mind either. No, no, no. I don't recall any of it. Well, in that case, that's also the reason why um, analysis has to be involved in his idea of induction, right? Because Otherwise, if, we'll, if we were talking about the uh, sign, the induction that science usually utilize, then we don't necessarily need analysis for the proof. As a matter of fact, that, that scientific induction and another thing that we call abduction mm. are, are, I want to say it this way, non-analytic. Non-analytic. Not at all. So, so... Is, does that mean that the, uh, the conclusion could be possible, but never they could never be certain? In, in, exactly right. That is to say, if the premises are true, even that one I gave you, the one about uh, antelope and bears, and we have to admit that those premises could all be true, and that means that the conclusion is probable, mm -hmm. but it's not certain. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. So we we ha so we have that idea of. I thought I'm wondering if we could go back to the the mechanical process of induction that 
Mathematical induction. Mathematical induction. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, just sort out, like, what kind of deduction are used in that process, the first and the second step. As though there are different kinds of deduction? <laughs> I, w- I would say that they're the same induction. Deduction. They're, they're both deductive processes. The same deduction. A deductive process. So I'm going to use a deductive process to show you that this characteristic is of at least one thing. Uh-huh. Which and she I calls will, that verification. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I will use, and you would say, a deductive process, indistinguishable in any significant way from the first one, to show that if it's, if it's true of the one, it will be true of a successive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, why not? Well, apart from the fact he wants to keep them two separate things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Uh, I, I mean, it seems like if we're saying that, I think if I'm hooking this up right, those deductive processes are certain, but they're these, what, these sort of identities, to tautologies almost, and thus aren't scientific and aren't even true. They're just based on premises. So if we're making this solid wall, and I mean, maybe this is what we just have to say, then we just say things that are certain aren't true and things that are true aren't certain inherently? Well, I don't know if we might do... The things that are certain turn out to have no semantic meaning. We have to, we have to interpret them. Mm-hmm. So the you things that are true... Premises. I mean, things can... I want to start over. Can I start over? Oh, Look at the ceiling. You know, that ceiling is white. It's not certainly no, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily true that it be whatever color it is. Uh-huh. But you have to admit that it is whatever color it is. It's contingently true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mathematics, it looks like, and our friend Plato and a bunch of other Greeks insist that it looks like, for anything to be knowledge, it has to be necessarily true, deductively justified belief. Mm-hmm. Now you can imagine a group of people, and many groups of people throughout history, but particularly starting about 1750 to 1850, saying, wait a minute, no, no, I will let contingently true, inductively, abductively, experimentally justified beliefs be knowledge. And as a matter of fact, I'm not sure that there is anything that's certain out mm-hmm. there in the world, but that doesn't mean that we don't have knowledge. Well, wait a minute. How about how about mathematics? Isn't that? And remember, we're gonna go back. And it turns out those things aren't either true or false. We can't say that anything about that anymore. We can only say that they can be or cannot be derived from certain premises. So it looks like, in spite of our friend Poincaré, whom I respect a lot, it looks like there's no such thing as a mathematical truth. Mm. And just to be clear about this, if we've modeled our philosophy on that way of doing reasoning. We have to say there's no such thing as philosophical truth either. It's just, and I'll repeat that again. (laughs) It's just garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) Whatever you put in is whatever you get out. You're begging the question every time you do math like that, every time you do philosophy like that. You're not discovering anything. What you're doing is expose. It's like standing on the table in the cafeteria and taking your clothes off and exposing (laughs) the premises, the dogmas you have. And, and, and you can see why people are embarrassed to do that in certain circles. Right. Yeah. So, just to get a. Am I right to am I right to say that the conflict between the physical induction and Poincaré's 
um, reasoning by recurrence is um, can I can I point to his claim, he, which he says um, the essential characteristic of reasoning by recurrence is that it contains condensed, so to speak, in a single formula an infinite number of syllogisms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just trying to th- think through just um, you know the conflict at the beginning and because I mean he. I, he looks like he satisfies himself that there is mathematical mm-hmm. truth by the end of this, but there's but the conflict comes out with the analytical bit, um, mm-hmm. and he talks about at the start, you know, can we reduce everything in math back to you know the principle of contradiction? Um, but he he seem he he thinks that the headway lies in the fact that I've. He's, he finds he can find an infinite number of syllogisms for a specific case, mm-hmm. and that's what is bringing us to the new knowledge, leading us. That that is the particular to the general. And notice the way we try to set up that part is a little different from we try to set it up such that it wouldn't be an infinite number of syllogisms, infinite number of deductive arguments. We thought there would just be one argument that, <clears throat> if it's true of one thing, it's true of its successor. Mm-hmm. That's not an infinite number of things there. The other part is is the part I think we've been putting our thumb on. If I've shown that it's true of any arbitrary one, mm-hmm. how is it that I know it's true of every one of all of them? Uh, Euclid, book one, number one. I've shown that it's true of any arbitrary line, mm-hmm. that if you give me any arbitrary line, I can build an equilateral triangle out of it. Where do we get off thinking that that also shows that it that it shows that it's true of every single line? Just because I've showed it of any arbitrary one, and you can see now why he's thinking is, oh wait a minute, now I've got to have an infinite number of syllogisms to make that any that inference from any to all. Mm-hmm. But and you can see why other people um, um, who are really interested in mathematics and logic say, no, no, no. No, that any, all, that's a single inference again. We have to give an account for why that works. Don't get me wrong. Otherwise, we'll wind up where Poincaré did there. We'll misunderstand what's happening there. <clears throat> 1908, Bertrand Russell, on the, uh, you know, doing his best to show you that mathematics can rest on set theory and logical stuff. He's the guy who's got to do that. It's just a single, on, on this account, not an infinite number of syllogisms, a single inference. And we've, I mean, cross your heart and hope to die, haven't we? Don't we think of it that way? Didn't we think of it that way the second day of math class, freshman mm-hmm. math? Mm-hmm. Nobody raised his hand and said, wait a minute, you showed about that line, but you didn't show it about this line over here. Mm-hmm. And if I had, if I had said that, you would have said, Bybee, that's pretty dumb. You know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> And as a matter of fact, you know, in senior math, when we when we try to raise this issue, the hardest part there is to see that it's an issue at all. Hmm. But he doesn't think that way. He doesn't. He doesn't. Well, I mean, we just read that part. He yeah. thinks that, that it has to be that the any-all move requires in some way an infinite number so that it's true about that about that particular arbitrary line, it's got to be 
true of every single line then, and that requires me to have an infinite number of syllogisms that occur not just on that line, the one we did on the board, mm -hmm. but for potentially every single line that we would do. I don't want to say that he's dumb. That's not what's going on there. He's mm -hmm. wrestling with something pretty hard, I think. Mm -hmm. But we would want to keep those two parts separate, I think. If we, if we keep those two parts separate, then why do we need induction? Which induction are you talking about? The mathematical induction. Boy, I need mathematical induction. I need it, and it's two disguises. There, it's actually, but I need weak induction. And oh. I need strong induction. I need both of those things, because I know of no other way to do to prove certain mathematical things mm -hmm. that I want to do. But when we invoke mathematical induction, mm -hmm. aren't we considering going from any to all? Mm -hmm. as a continuous infinite process and just, but instead of just from here any to there all uh, uh, again I'm, I'm just claiming that in mathematical induction the first claim is that it's true of any arbitrary instance uh -huh. oh you gotta give me that one that's okay. a pure deduction thing and then the second one is an if then statement it's gonna it's gonna be good like this if it's true of one it's true of this of the next one, of the succeeding one. I'm not making any claims about all. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. And then, you know, as Mr. Berry pointed out, <clears throat> then I've got the, okay, wait, I've, I've proved it of any arbitrary one, and I've proved that it's true of any successor. How do I know that that means all cases? Mm -hmm. So I, so, and I, you can see in his chapter, he's wrestling with all these things at once, the, that the move from any to alls got him bothered. Mm. And, and, and I'm, I, I should say, and rightfully so, right? I mean, we, we shouldn't be light about this. We do have to have a theory of it. We just can't ask him to give us the theory of it. I don't think his is going to work. I was just going to say that. I, I think, at least the way I sort of think about it, and maybe this is an odd way of seeing it, that when you first have the any, then when you do the successive thing, it's sort of talking about each, and this is sort of why I said earlier, like three steps instead of two, and maybe this is an odd way of seeing it, but, and I think that's what Mr. Wong was trying to get with the idea of a process, and I, th I feel like that's the way to jump. You can think of a particular, then you can think of a process, each one down the line, mm -hmm. but then generalizing it to say, oh, you could do it for each down the line. That means the entire line is, and that seems to me like where the, the jump is, that would be it your makes third sense. step. Yeah, that's how yeah. I was saying three instead of two. Yeah. But yeah. it makes sense. And I mean, it's also sort of what, like, at least when we were doing the Principia, like, that's sort of the jump for calculus, too. Oh, you can reduce it infinitely, therefore you can just get to there. You can just be complete. Sort of like an actual infinite divisibility instead of... <laughs> so, let's do the calculus thing first. You remember <laughs> our friend Newton says, okay, I know other people have thought of it that way. I'm never going to think of it that way. I'm, you know, lemma one means mm -hmm. I'm going to define, basically I'm going to define equality differently, ultimately equal in terms of something mm -hmm. else. I, I'm not, I'm, you know, so he's he's already, Les Newton is really pretty bright, let's admit it, you know. He's, he's already moved that, that that stuff that we've seen with the, with the, the people saying an infinite number of additions is going to equal something finite there. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, that's not the way to think of it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is notice I'm going to use the, the famous dominoes 
experience here. The first part of induction shows that I can knock over one domino. Mm -hmm. The second part shows me, not that I'm going to knock over all the dominoes, it shows me that if I can knock over one, it will knock over the next one. Mm -hmm. That's all it does. Then there's the part you do. How does that mean that, oh, that it leads to, to all of them getting knocked over? Mm -hmm. that, that, and now, now let's do the let's do the Newton. Wait a minute. What do you mean by all of them getting knocked over? All I have to show you is you name which one you want knocked over, and I can tell you how far it goes till it gets knocked over. And that's what I'm going to mean by all. Oh, Newton, boy, you're smarter than I thought you were, and I, I thought you were pretty smart. Hear, hear that difference? Yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. Okay. And I mean, that's Euclid 10.1, too. He doesn't say, uh -huh. he doesn't then say all, yep. but it's in there. That's yep. the implicit. Smaller than any magnitude. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly also, right. That's also the method we use for the mechanics of the induction, inductive proving. Yeah. Step, the second step. Which is, now notice, radically different from that probabilistic stuff that we do with, with scientific induction. Oh, I see. Which, and that's always just probabilistic. You know. Mm -hmm. and, and now, I mean, we now have two sort of separate theories of, of, of probability. One is, has to do with frequency analysis, and you have to have a huge frequency, and then you can do that stuff. That's the one I gave us before. Mm -hmm. And the other one, is, I mean, one of the models for the other one is Bayesian analysis, where... You know, you, you don't have a whole bunch of frequency. You may not have any frequency at all. You're going to figure out probabilities in a completely different way. Hmm. And we at St. John's don't do either of those two. We <laughs> don't do either of those probabilities, which drives some of us, you know, in freshman lab especially, or, or especially when we get to senior lab, just crazy. You know, you're, you don't have tools, thinking tools, if you don't know how to think probabilistically, which is takes back to Poincaré. He's, he's got the probabilistic induction on the one hand. He's got the deductive process that we call inductive reasoning, mm -hmm. but it's you know mathematical induction on the other hand. He sees historically that they came, that, that one came out of the other. Thank you, John Wallace. Mm -hmm. He's trying to grapple with some of the hardest problems in the history of, of mathematics. He desperately desperately wants mathematics to be a science because the ramifications are so horrible if it's not. And again, I just want to underline those. If it's not, there's no such thing as mathematical truth. Hmm. It just depends, you know, can I prove 147? Well, with that particular set of premises, you can. With another set, you can't. Mm -hmm. Does, is, is Pythagorean theorem true? No, it's not true. It's just a formalism that I know I can prove mm -hmm. given these set of... Okay, now Poincaré is going to say, wait a minute, and John Wallace, I know that's true, not from the proof. I know that's true from going and looking at a bunch of triangles. <laughs> <laughs> that's induction, right? Uh, right Phoenicians right. had 2,000 different triangles that they knew that was true of. That's how we knew it was true. Mm -hmm. And John Wallace says, and see you dumb mathematicians, geometricians is who he is, you dumb <laughs> geometers, you think that you're discovering something. You're not discovering, you're proving something you already knew to be true. I'm not doing math like that anymore. I quit. That's not math. I'm going to do math the same way the guys in the Royal Society do natural philosophy, by experimentation. Mm -hmm. Out of which we finally get analysis, that we, we would call analysis, calculus, mm -hmm. algebra number theory, set theory, a bunch of other stuff. Hmm. Okay. Yeah.
and we get Poincaré. I mean, this, worried about this. There's actually a part where he holds physical induction and uh, his mathematical induction the, right next to each other. And, uh, but what he, what he says in the analogy about mathematical induction, I found, uh, I didn't quite understand it, but it was striking. Um, well, he says it cannot escape our notice that here is a striking analogy with the usual process of induction, that is to do with experimentation. Um, and the inheritability of that. Um, but, but he says an essential uh, difference exists. Um, induction with regards to the physical science is always uncertain, as we said, based, uh, because it is based on the belief in a general order of the universe, an order which is external to us. Mathematical induction, um, that is proved by recurrence, is, on the contrary, necessarily imposed on us because it is only the affirmation of a property of the mind itself. Um, and I have what does he mean by that? I have really no idea what to do with that. <laughs> yeah. um, Which page is it? This is... Uh, 13. Section 13. 6. It, it was just one of, those, one of those parts in the reading where I just lost him completely. Um, he, 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 says, he says a little more of it before that. Um, but, uh, and that also has to do with uh, just the inheritability. He calls it a, um, what does he say? It is because it is only the affirmation of the power of the mind which knows it can conceive of the indefinite repetition, repetition of the same act when the act is once possible. So, so the part you read right there, where it looks like it's imposed on the mind, my question was, that doesn't sound like a logical process. That sounds like a psychological process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if and if again, you know, at the time he's writing, we want to be. I mean, people at that time who were, for the first time in history, calling themselves logicians, are trying to say something is true. Uh, and, uh, as a matter of fact, an, an argument is valid as a matter of fact, not simply because it happens to capture our minds in a particular way. And he's he's looks like he's completed that. It looks like he thinks that that some inferences are certain because it does a, a, a psychological process that imposes itself on our minds. I mean, it seems like he just unless unless I'm mistaken. I mean, he just it seemed like he left us hanging there because it's it seemed like a huge statement to make that um, and then was just kind of. I don't know if I don't know if I want to say it fell by the wayside, but I just I didn't get any more about it. So mm -hmm. suppose he knew what he was saying when he said it. To whom was he saying it? Who would agree with him? Do you think? Which philosophers are going to say, yeah, that that? I mean, it sounds so Kantian in some ways, right? Here's the the connection between the mental world that I have that I'm trying to use to justify the fact that I can have knowledge of the external world. That sounds like that's part and parcel of his assumptions there. And, and you and I might say, no, wait a minute, you, you Kantians and Neo-Kantians and Hegelians and Neo-Hegelians, you've completely goofed up. You've completely conflated the logical realm, things that are there due to logic, and the thing we call reason, which is a psychological reason. Boy, if, if you keep those threads carefully pulled apart, you would never have these mistakes. And what we have, the quote you had said, analogy. He's struck by the analogy between the two separate processes. Mm -hmm. right. 
think we need to stop. That was fun. Let's do it again sometime when we're sober. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.